So this past Wednesday, we began our own observance of the 40 days from Wednesday until the Thursday where Jesus celebrated the first communion meal with his disciples by going on a 40-day devotional journey together. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to join us on the YouVersion app, that's another app you can find on your phone and download that YouVersion app. It's free. It's a fantastic tool for the church. And you will find the devotional journey called 40 Days Journeying with Jesus. And if you're feeling a little behind, it's no big deal. It's a really well-written devotional. And I'll be preaching from the text, Matthew chapter 26 through the end of Matthew, that we're also studying together devotionally during the week. It's really important to us this year, in the middle of all the excitement about building a building, that our love for each other and our prayer as a church grows even stronger than our building does. That's the real work of the kingdom, and we're very grateful for the opportunity to be building in the heart of Jewett City. We would all agree that Jewett City is a place that needs more of God's gospel presence. However, that presence needs to be clear and, and shining amongst our own fellowship, regardless of where the Lord has us meet. And so this is an attempt to continue to build love and prayer together as a church, devotionally, between now and Easter. So again, the version app and the devotional plan is called 40 Days Journeying with Jesus. And you can see other church families and members who have joined that app, and we were all kind of moving through it together. And you might say, hey, Pastor Josh, I noticed this morning that you're two days behind. So, it's okay. <laughs> I will catch up this afternoon or tomorrow morning. And so, if the pastor's a day or two behind, don't you feel weird at all about joining today? We will catch up together. So, wanted to bring those things to your attention. Uh, this morning, my opening uh, thought is this, and it comes from the text that we will be studying together, which is found in Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 46. It's a pretty long passage. I'll be moving through it pretty quickly, pointing out some big ideas for us as we move towards the time of communion this morning. And here's my big idea this morning. It is not possible to be ready for the day that our forever changes. Or another way of saying it, it's not possible for us to be ready for the day that our history changes. If we were to go back and have a conversation with ourselves the day before we graduated from high school, for instance, there are some things that we could share with that 17, 18-year-old version of ourselves that we could have just never possibly prepared for when it came to entering the adult phase of our life. Some of us might say, man, if I could talk to myself the day before I got married, there are some things I was not ready my history changed on that day. My forever changed on that day. And I was not as ready as I could have been because there were things I just simply, maybe the facts were in front of me and I couldn't see them, or maybe I just didn't have the maturity to understand where I was at at that time. For me, one of those days where I was just not ready for my forever change or the day that my history happened, this text came from my wife on Wednesday, November 6th at 10.08 a.m. I was minding my business. I, I was writing a sermon or praying for you or doing something that you think I should be doing. And this is my wife. So I have a completely insane lunatic proposal to float by you. These are not words my wife normally says. Like, I'm the one that's in charge of completely lunatic, insane proposals. I'm the one that usually has the crazy, out-of-the-box, what-if-we-blah-blah-blah stuff. This is my wife. Are you going to be home after school today? 
Well, when I get this kind of text from my wife, I know that my history is changing. And I am not ready for it. Because this is not the woman I've known since she was 11. She doesn't use words like this. Something big is going on. I thought I was happily married, but maybe I'm not. Like that kind of stuff. My reply, yes ma'am. Because I say ma'am to my wife, and you should too. And I say ma'am to my mom, and you should too. Yes ma'am. My only appointment today is at 5.30 with Justin and Plainfield for dinner to talk about River Youth for the year. Sounds good. I'll try to head home a little early today. And then, silence. It's 10.08 in the morning. I don't, my history is changing. And so finally I text her back and I'm like, do I get a hint? <laughs> like, did you sell my motorcycle? Like, my history is changing. Something's happening. I am not ready for it. And it's okay if I say crazy things in this relationship, but it's not okay for you to be crazy in this relationship. I'm, I've got the crazy cover. Two hours later, there's a student who needs a foster family. He's a first grader. Didn't mean to leave you hanging. There's been meetings all morning. <laughs> I said, okay, yeah, let's talk. Thank you for following up. It's hard to get a text like the one you sent earlier, and I have no idea where this is going. And she said, yeah, it's a crazy idea. I said, well, crazy good or crazy bad, we'll figure it out. And it's worth the conversation. That was on Wednesday, November 6th. And then the day before Thanksgiving, Kate came to live with us, and he's, he's here today. So my history changed on that day, and I could have never been prepared for it. My future changed that day, and there are things about being a foster parent that you only learn when you're the guy holding someone else's child head through the night as he vomits for 12 hours. Nothing prepares you for that. All the thoughts that come into your mind about what that actually means to take somebody else's child into your family. How does that impact your children? When is this child going to go home? Is this child ever going to go home? And on and on and on and on. But the bottom line was we knew what the right thing to do was and we made a good decision. And it's been a wonderful experience for us. But there are times in our life where we can't possibly anticipate what is going to happen the next day or the next week. And so join me as we take a look at the disciples because they're in way over their heads. There is absolutely nothing that could have prepared them for the conversation they're about to have with Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover so you may eat it? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I assure you, one of you will betray me. This is the most important meal of the year for an Orthodox Jew. It is celebrating the time that God delivered the nation of Israel from slavery, from Egypt, through Moses, the man of God. Actual miracles, writing on stone, 
splitting of the sea, defeat of the enemy, and it is celebrated on this night. And the last thing the disciples expected to hear during this night of celebration of Israel's delivery and remembering it is to be confronted with the stark reality that Jesus just said, one of all y'all is going to betray me. Talk about dropping a bomb at the Christmas dinner. Like, it's just not cool to talk about this kind of stuff when the family is together. It's like you're looking for a fight. And so this is what the disciples were confronted with. I love what the devotional pointed out earlier this week when she wrote that for all the mistakes that the disciples made and for as clueless as they strike us and for as difficult as it is to anticipate where Jesus is going with this and nothing could have prepared them and the mistakes that they made, that they got it right when they followed his instructions about preparing for the Passover. They were obedient to Jesus and that they said, sure, we'll go talk to a random stranger and invite ourselves over to his house and no problem. We will go do it right now. And they did. And I thought that was a pretty good point from our devotionals earlier this week. The text continues. Deeply distressed, yeah, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. He replied, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi, you have said it, he told him. And so nothing had prepared the disciples for this conversation at this meal. It was a time of solemn remembrance and joy as they remembered God's deliverance, and it wasn't supposed to go this way. Like it was taking a direction that had never been their experience before. This was out of ordinary for them. They could have, nothing could have prepared them for the reality of their future. This was not what they expected when they prepared the upper room. The text continues in verse 26. As they were eating, Judas is gone now, Jesus took bread, blessed it, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Again, they didn't see this coming. This meal is not about any one man. This meal is about God. It's about Yahweh, Elohim. It's about how God delivered the nation of Israel. And now we have Jesus making this meal about himself. It, that's not how this is supposed to go. He took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, the disciples could have never seen this coming. No one in their right mind would have made the Passover meal which they've been celebrating for over a thousand years at this time, about themselves. And yet this is exactly what Jesus is doing. But I tell you, from this moment, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way in my Father's kingdom with you. After singing Psalms, Psalm 115 through 118 is the traditional text for the Passover meal. They went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, we now know, since we live in light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that what this represents is a kind of love that the disciples just never saw coming. If, the, if you were to ask them as they walked into the upper room, you know, does Jesus love you? And do you have love for Jesus? The answer would have been yes. 
And if you would ask them to describe, well, how, what are the ways that Jesus is going to continue to love you? The answer probably would have been, well, on Monday we got off to a good start when he went into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and was recognized as the king of Israel. And we all took off our coats and we cut down the palm branches and we said, Hosanna to God in the highest. And we praised the king that the Lord had provided. That is probably the way he's going to continue to love us. And at some point, he's going to go back into Jerusalem and kick the Romans out. And we are going to be his ambassadors and administrators. Probably one of us will be in charge of each of the different 12 tribes of Israel. And we're going to see heaven on earth. That's, that's probably how Jesus is going to continue to love us. It's, it's the kind of love that we think about on our, well, when we have a child. We fall in love with this little creature that has grown inside of our life, and, and then they come out, and they have their own arms, and their own legs, and their own mind, and their own mouth. And it's like we put our heart inside of our wife for nine months, and she cooked it, and it came out. It's a new little being. And there it is. And we have tremendous feelings of love for this child. And if we were to ask a new parent, what is your parenting going to be like? We're going to read lots of stories. We're going to go for bike rides in the community. I'm going to pay for college. Uh, they're going to have, you know, nice clothes to wear. We're going to have wonderful family vacations together. And all that stuff probably happened or is happening. But the kind of love you don't anticipate is when the child is screaming because they haven't slept in hours and neither has your wife, and she gets up to go and deal with this little demon for the 14th time, and you look at her and you say, no, I got this one. And at that moment, our wives would probably say that that is more loving than just about anything we've done since we brought her to the altar. We all have this anticipation of what our love for our children and our spouses is going to look like, and then there's the love that the 2 a.m. kind of love. When we haven't slept, the, the kind of love that says, I need to take another job so I can help provide for my family better. The kind of love that says, it's now time for me to step up by putting myself second. That kind of love. And we all know that that kind of love is the actual real motor to our relationships. And that any relationship we have that doesn't involve a fairly high degree of self-sacrifice is a failing relationship. It's not going to last. It's not going to survive if we don't put ourselves second, if we don't make everyday decisions to sacrifice ourselves. Knowing that our relational needs, our emotional needs, will be met when we meet the needs of those to whom we've actually made a vow, or we've actually brought onto the planet, or we've actually dedicated ourselves to by faith. That's how it actually works, a 2 a.m. kind of love. The love that Jesus is sharing with his disciples right now has nothing to do with him putting on armor, <laughs> which is exactly what the disciples were hoping for. It had everything to do with Jesus being stripped naked and being nailed to a cross. It had everything to do with the kind of love you just don't see coming. But every thriving relationship we have is built on that kind of love. And that's what Jesus is talking about. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is poured out for you so that many should receive forgiveness of sins. They didn't see it coming. They couldn't anticipate the power of the 2 a.m. kind of love that Jesus is beginning to model for them. 
Their history was changing. Their most important celebration was changing. And they were there, but there's nothing that could have prepared them for it. They just didn't see it coming. And Jesus knows this. Listen to what he does in the text. The promise that he makes to his guys. Continuing in chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, they had just sung Psalm 115 through 118. Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will run away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So what are you supposed to say when Jesus says that to you? You know what, you're right, Jesus, it's been a good three-year run, but it's been my intent all along to abandon you at the last moment. Like, what are you supposed to say to that? But after I have been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And here we go. Verse 33. Peter told him. He says the same thing we would have said. Even if everyone runs away because of you, I will never run away. I assure you, Jesus said to him tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. We would have said the same thing too. What are you supposed to say? You're right, I'm lame. No, they they said the right thing. Surely, we, we are with you till the bitter end. But don't overlook what Jesus holds out to them by way of powerful hope found in verse 32. All y'all are going to run away. It's what the scripture says is going to happen. I'm going to go through this alone. However, after I have been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. When all that has to happen, happens, I will meet you at home. We'll reconvene at home. We'll pick this up at home. I'm going to go ahead of you. I'll be waiting there for you. That is a powerful word of encouragement to the disciples, which they probably didn't even process in the emotion of that evening. And it's a powerful promise to the church that when we say yes to the kinds of things where our history is changing and nothing can prepare us for it, that Jesus is going ahead and he's going to meet us at home. That when what happens has to happen, for whatever reason, that Jesus goes ahead of his people. He makes this promise knowing that there are times that we will fall away. Knowing that there are times that he's going to go on to say to Peter that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I am going to go ahead and I am going to meet you. When you come back around home, you're going to find me waiting there. For you. That is a powerful concept and a powerful comforting idea when our, the day that our history happens and we don't know what to do, and sometimes we do the right thing and sometimes we don't, that Jesus has gone ahead and he is going to meet us at home. That when we head back home, our Savior is waiting there for us. He knew it was going to happen. It's under God's sovereignty. He may be happy about it. He may not. But you know what he is? He's there. And he said he was going to be there, and he did. That is a powerful truth for the New Testament church. Continuing in the text, when history happens, I'm ahead of you, is what he said to his guys. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. 
first attempt on Jesus' life on Good Friday happened in the garden. Right here. Where he bore the sins of the world by himself. Sorrowed him to the point of death. His life was actually going to be physically threatened later on in the day. But the first attempt on his life happens right here. Then he said to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? We're studying the questions of Jesus between his anointing in Bethany and his death on the cross. There are seven of them, and so we're going to take a question each week between now and Easter. Last week was the question, why are you bothering this woman? <laughs> She's just trying to worship me. Let's not get in her way. This week, the question is right here. Uh, couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, you went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same things once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, he repeats himself basically, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the time is near. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go, see my betrayer is near. And so I'm going to wrap up our, our message time together this morning and move into a time of communion. We're going to use for our communion text this morning the text that is in our text in Matthew chapter 26. But here's the final big idea. Here's the final application point for us this morning based off of the text. What was Jesus asking Peter, James, and John to do? Stay here, which they did. Stay awake, which they did not. And pray, which they did not do either. He didn't ask them to fight. He didn't ask them to make a great sacrifice. He didn't ask them to do anything other than simply be with him in that moment. And if we as a church could go back to one moment in time and be there for Jesus in that moment, what would we give? to be there with Jesus in that moment. Yes, Lord, I will stay, I will be awake, and I will pray. The one time in history where God needed help, and he used his words, what would we give as a church to be able to go back to that moment in time and say, I will happily stay awake one hour after this very long and confusing day just to be obedient to you, just to be here for you when you come back from your time of prayer. It's just an hour. I would happily stay awake right now, Lord, and pray with you through the anguish that almost caused you to die before the cross. What would we give as a church? If we could go back in one moment in history and say this is where we would like to be a baby, wouldn't it be to tell that story of how we partnered with Jesus and we prayed with him on that night? Well, here's the question for us. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Paul writes, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. You see, the New Testament says in this text and in a number of other texts, if we go to answer the question, what is Jesus doing right now 
while he is waiting for the orders from his dad to come back and wrap this thing up, the answer is he's still praying. He is making active intercession for his church. He is standing next to his father in heaven, reminding him of all the promises that he has to be merciful and gracious, to forgive us our sins when we turn to him in faith, reminding him of the price that was paid and how it is fully satisfactory. And here's the question for the church this morning. Is Jesus still praying alone? Is he still praying by himself? Or has the church stepped up in the last 2,000 years? Is the church awake? Has the church remained? Is the church praying about the things that continue to grieve Jesus to this day? Is Jesus still praying by himself? we fall asleep? Have we wandered off? Are we not praying? That's the question for the church today. And I think you and I would agree that we would love to be the kind of people who would never leave Jesus alone when he is interceding on our behalf. That we would join him. That we would be no strangers to the throne of God where Jesus continues to stand to this day. That this is common territory for us. That we have set time aside every day to lift up to the Lord the things that still concern Jesus. That he is still, to this day, interceding on our behalf. The question this morning, is Jesus still praying alone? I don't think he is. I think he receives great delight from the regular gathering together of the saints as we continue to be faithful. I think he receives great delight during the times of prayer on a Sunday morning. I think he is delighted that we are trying to be together during the week devotion and reading the same text and, and putting the same thoughts into our mind and, and praying the same prayers. I think this brings him great delight. And I think we can prove it. Name one other church that has experienced the Lord's favor and blessing the way we have in the past five and a half years. Look at the spreadsheets. And so I think the Lord is very pleased with us. And I don't think that we've left Jesus to pray alone. But I think we would all agree that beginning with this morning, that we could do a better job of making ourselves known in the throne room of God by seeking to join our Savior as he continues to make intercession for us. And so as we move into a time of communion, it's an appropriate time for reflection. It's an appropriate time for prayer and for repentance and for being honest with the Lord. And so I'm going to ask the guys to come forward and be ready to distribute the elements. If this is the first time you have received communion here at River Church, please understand that it's much bigger than River Church, that the table that is set before us, that the elements that are symbols which are being provided for us were elements that Jesus instituted. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are welcome to join us today if you would like to. If you do not, would you consider becoming a Christian even now as we prepare to distribute the elements which remind us of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? It's a simple prayer with Jesus that goes like this. Heavenly Father, I want to partner with your Son. I want to 
have him meet me at home. I have been wandering by myself, far from home, for too long. Today I'm heading back to my faith, I'm heading back to my Savior, I'm heading back to the me that I know I should be, that I haven't been for quite some time. When I come home, Father, by faith, I want your son to meet me there. I turn from everything that displeases him, that I know that is not welcome in his home. I acknowledge those things, I turn from them, and by faith I accept Jesus' death, burial, and sacrifice as pleasing in your sight on my behalf, credited to my life. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Become a Christian today, and then seal the deal with these elements, reminding yourself that it cost Jesus his life, and it cost Jesus his blood, but it was a sacrifice that he willingly made. I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing on the rest of our time together this morning, and then the communion elements will be distributed. Uh, the, the elements are stacked, so take two cups at a time, and then we will hold the elements until everyone has had uh, the elements passed by them. I'll share the scripture, and then we'll take communion together. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, what a privilege to join your son in prayer this morning. We feel that it is our responsibility to lift up this zip code to you. That it is our responsibility to lift up this fellowship to you. That it is our responsibility to lift our children up to you. We know that Jesus is interceding on behalf of all these things for us, but we don't want him to do this alone. He can trust us, Lord. Your son will never pray through the night by himself again. Not as long as we're here. It is our desire to partner with your son to pray for ourselves, for our families, for our community, that your kingdom would come, that we would be the kind of church that models 2 a.m. love. As these elements are distributed, Father, I pray that you would find our remembrance of that first Passover meal that he celebrated with his disciples to be pleasing in your sight. We ask these things in Jesus' name.